Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 1. We'll read verses 9 through 14. The prayer of Paul for the church in Colossae, that God would fill them with all spiritual wisdom and power to obey his will and bear fruit. It's on page 1168 in your pew Bible. We read it in connection with the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Colossians chapter 1, read beginning at verse 9. Paul writes, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We read that in connection with Lord's Day 49, which is found on page 895 in the back of your hymnal. Lord's Day 49 of the Heidelberg Catechism as we've been uh, making our way through the Lord's Prayer Church's teaching on it will read responsively question 124, where it asks concerning the Lord's Prayer, what does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any back talk to obey your will for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Congregation, we looked last week at the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. This third petition, thy will be done, really flows directly out of that second petition. It's not really possible to pray for the coming of God's kingdom without simultaneously praying that the character of the king would fill his people. This afternoon, we're going to look at the ministry of John the Baptist as we continue making our way through Luke. And it it tells us in one of the other gospels in Matthew that, that John the Baptist comes proclaiming the kingdom. And yet in Luke... It simply tells us that he came proclaiming repentance, telling those who have two tunics to share with those who have none, calling soldiers to act justly in their own office and and calling tax collectors to do the same, not uh, taking more than they're authorized to do. And so looking at, at those two gospel accounts together reveals that to preach the kingdom and to preach that God's will would be done go hand in hand. The third petition is inextricably tied to the second, to pray for revival, 
uh, to pray for it for the advance of, of the gospel requires that we likewise be concerned with holiness of life. All of the great men like Edwards and Whitfield and the men of Princeton and those who were concerned with, with genuine spirit-wrought revival always insisted that part of the coming of God's kingdom and, and, and the spread of, of the gospel was the simultaneous coming of God's kingdom in the hearts of his subjects. And so in that way, it is not a, a spiritualization of the second petition when Lord's Day 48 says, rule us by your word and spirit so that more and more we submit to you. But part of what it means to pray for the coming of God's kingdom is to pray for the same in our own hearts. And I think we see something of that in Colossians chapter 1, where, where Paul has just spoken in verse 6. If you look just a couple verses before, he's, he's just spoken of, of the gospel going out to the whole world, of it bearing fruit and increasing. And now he prays that it would do the same in their own hearts, that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will and strengthened to do it. This is a third petition prayer flowing directly out of the second. And I think we see that same thing in verse 13 towards the end of his prayer where, where Paul reveals that really that which, which undergirds this whole prayer from verses 9 through 12 is the truth that God has, has delivered them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul is reminding us of a very simple truth that your place in the kingdom is determinative of your behavior. And so as John the Baptist would preach and as we sang throughout Advent, the reality of God's kingdom means make ye straight what long was crooked, make the rougher places plain, let your hearts be true and humble as befits his holy reign. That's what we sing for number 298, comfort, comfort ye my people. And those last words, as befits his holy reign, really emphasize the fact that the coming kingdom of God has implications for doing the will of God. That's exactly what Paul teaches in Colossians 1. The coming of the kingdom of God and the doing of the will of God go hand in hand. We cannot pray genuinely for the one without the other. We cannot pray for God to bless and grow his church, all the while ignoring sin in our own midst. Paul here teaches us to pray for wisdom and power to do the will of God as subjects of the kingdom of God. And so as we look at this prayer this morning, I want to draw your attention to three aspects of it that God might conform our prayers more and more to the praying Apostle Paul's. We see him pray, uh, first of all, for wisdom to obey God's will. We see him pray, secondly, for power to renounce our own will. We see him, third, praying in light of our heavenly hope. Paul teaches us to pray for wisdom to know and obey God's will, for power to renounce our own will, and then to pray all of this in light of our heavenly hope. So notice first verses 9 and 10, where Paul prays for wisdom to obey God's will. By the way, you notice as, as he's, he's doing this, Paul is not just praying this in the singular, 
But as the Lord's Prayer is prayed all the way through in the plural, our Father in heaven, so Paul uh, teaches us to pray for for others as he prays for the church in Colossae, even the church that, that he's never met. So Paul teaches us to pray in the plural, not just for ourselves. He he teaches us to have a broader scope for our prayers than just ourselves. Or even than just our own little circle. But to pray for the people of God in every place, even in places that we've never been. And he also teaches us to pray unceasingly, as it says in verse 9. And so we we learn a lot here from Paul about the character of our prayer, or the, the circumstances of our prayer. I want you to notice also what Paul teaches us about the content of our prayer. He prays that we and all men would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so Paul's concern here is twofold. It's, it's with, first of all, the knowledge of God's will, and then flowing from that also the, the doing of God's will. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 119 prays for God to help him to know his statutes and then also to walk in them. So we see Paul praying here. As a man trained in the scriptures, well-versed in the psalms, he's praying a very psalm-like prayer that God would help him, first of all, to know and then to do his will. And so likewise, as we pray for strength in the Christian life, this strength comes, first of all, from knowing and understanding The word of God. G.K. Beale asks of of verse 9, what is the the source of this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of which Paul speaks? Paul would say, it is the word of God in Scripture and nothing else. This is where our, our charismatic friends go wrong. We don't learn the will of God from something other than Scripture, but by going to the Scriptures themselves. By being people of the word. As we saw last week of Jesus in the temple, being those who are strengthened by the grace of God through being taught by the word of God. We we see in the life of Jesus that to be led by the spirit is to be led by the word. And so next week, as, as Jesus will be tempted by Satan in the wilderness... How does he withstand that temptation of the devil? But by quoting the word of God that he had stored in his heart from his youth. Hymn number 401 says, By the ancient serpent tempted, Christ obeyed where Adam failed. Crafty lies he fought with scripture. By the spirit he prevailed. And Paul is praying for that same reality, first seen in the Lord Jesus, now to be worked in the lives of his people. That God would give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to know, understand, and store God's word in our hearts. And that that spiritual wisdom proceeding from the word of God would then lead in verse 10 to us walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. As Lord's Day 49 says, to obey God's will for it alone is good. We want to understand God's word, and then we also want to be doers of it. Paul, in the way that verse 9 leads into verse 10, reminds us that it's worthless to be knowers of the will of God if that does not lead us to be doers of the will of God. 
He reminds us that God is not so much interested in us being able to run theological circles around others if that theology does not lead to the basic fruit bearing of verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. The purpose of knowing the word of God is that we would grow in doing the will of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, towards the the very beginning of it, it, it asks, what do the scriptures principally teach? And the answer that it gives is what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so what that means is that we have not studied the word aright if it, if it does not lead us to then endeavor with all God's strength to do that which it requires of us. And so Paul here prays for us in the first part of this prayer to know and understand God's word that we might also obey it. We pray for wisdom to obey God's will. We need understanding that, that we might know that will. And that understanding and wisdom is of the spiritual kind that leads to obedience. You pray this for yourself. You pray to the posture of, of Lord's Day 52, just a, a few uh, question and answers after this where, where it says, what, what, what are we exactly praying when we ask the Lord to deliver us from temptation? It reminds us that we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own even for a moment. But the devil, the world, our own flesh never stop attacking us. So likewise, this third petition is a humble admission that we cannot do it on our own. We can't even understand the word of God on our own. We need his help. And we need his strength to help us to do it. You take this prayer of Paul here in Colossians 1, you pray it for yourself. You pray it like Paul does for for others. Parents, you pray it for your children. Above all the other things that we pray for them, we pray that they would be children of the word that they would grow in the knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he requires of them, and that that growth in the knowledge and wisdom of those things would, would so produce in them hearts of obedience that they would not only know God's will, but obey it, for it alone is good. The first thing that the third petition teaches us to pray is for wisdom to obey God's will that the Spirit of God would help us to understand the will of God and then to apply it by the strength of God. And yet, it doesn't stop there, but we we have to to also go beyond that. You remember last week as we were studying the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, we saw that that it's really a, a prayer of warfare, that the prayer for the coming of God's kingdom and um, also the destruction of, of Satan's. Lord's Day 48, it, it says to pray your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit more and more so that we submit to you, preserve and increase your church. But then it goes on to, to say, destroy the devil's work, destroy every force that revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. That reminds us that there is a spiritual battle going on, which is, is why the book of, of Ephesians ends with all of that spiritual warfare, the uh, spiritual um, armor that the Lord calls us to put on in the midst of this warfare. Lord's Day 48 reminds that there is a battle going on. 
And so it teaches us to pray, destroy the devil's work and every force that revolts against the Lord, every conspiracy against God's holy word. And we pray that, including the sin that remains in us that chafes against the will of God. Lord's Day 49 here reminds us that we, we must pray that God would help us by his spirit to renounce our own wills. Herman Veldkamp says not only to acquiesce to the will of God, but to beseech him to torch the whole building of my unholy and evil desires, of my selfishness and egoism, for God to eradicate root and branch all unwillingness and self-will. When God's will is maintained, that means the death blow to my own. So we must pray. To pray, rule us by your word and sphere the more and more we submit to you means to pray, help me to renounce my own will and put it to death. As John Owen said, to be killing sin lest it be killing you. The second and third petition teach us to pray for God's power to renounce our own will. To believe we see something of in verse 11 where Paul prays for them to be strengthened with power according to God's glorious might. And then he says just after that, for all endurance and patience with joy. Now those words um, patience and, and endurance imply hardship. They imply some, some form of, of, of difficulty. They imply that there are going to be difficult circumstances or difficult people that may test your patience. There are going to be situations where you have to persevere and keep on pressing on in doing good. And so he prays that God would give them power to strengthen them with patience. He prays that God would give them power to resist the sinful inclinations of the flesh that may crop up in the midst of this spiritual battle and that God would give them grace to put those sinful inclinations to death. This ultimately is a prayer for God to eradicate root and branch all unwillingness and self-will. To pray that God would not only give you the knowledge to understand what God's word requires of you, but then also the power to to apply that knowledge even in the midst of situations where you don't want to do what God's will says. He's saying the Lord give you strength without any backtalk to obey his will for it alone is good. Paul is reminding us in the Christian life there are going to be times where it's not easy to submit to what God's word says. Young people, there are going to be challenges. There's going to be times where you have to stand up for what's right and, and you need the strength of God's glorious might if you're going to do so. So pray that God would not only give you knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to, to mentally comprehend God's word and apply it, but also the strengthening empowerment of the the same spirit who inspired that word, that by his power he might then put to death every selfish inclination to do other than what God's word says. In the midst of interpersonal conflict, in the, the midst of difficult cases of conscience, in the midst of, of those difficult scenarios which, which you may increasingly find yourselves in as our, our culture becomes so uh, more and more um, uh, just um, confused about basic things and, and as it says in Psalm 2, trying to, to cast off the, the, the cords of God's will and you find yourselves more and more in these difficult circumstances, what, what do I do? 
You're going to, to be tempted to rationalize and, and follow your own will and take the easy way out. And so Paul, with Lord's Day 49, he, he teaches us to renounce our own will. And even as we said last week of Luther on praying thy kingdom come to say curses, malediction, and disgrace on every other name and every other kingdom, including my own. We pray for God to give us wisdom to understand his will and then power to renounce our own will. And as we said last week, we pray that he would do this until his kingdom fully comes when he will be all in all. And that's how Lord's Day 48 teaches us. When Jesus teaches us to pray thy kingdom come, we, we pray for the, the uh, invasion of his kingdom into this present age like the, the leaven that, that, that spreads throughout the whole loaf the way that it describes in Matthew chapter 13. But we pray that would continue happening until Christ's coming again when he will be all in all and his kingdom comes in full. That's what we're praying when we pray that kingdom come. And you, you, you really see this, this same kind of, of eschatological movement in Lord's Day 49, where just as the prayer, thy kingdom come, points to the full realization of that kingdom, so the prayer that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven reaches ahead in hope to that day where there will be no more sinful desires that resist his will. You know, what an amazing thing it is that Jesus teaches us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it is Christ's will that earth would be like heaven. Notice everyone, all people, would renounce their own wills and carry out their own office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Veldkamp says Christ's field of vision in this, uh, the third petition is tremendously broad. He is saying, Father, let thy will be done everywhere as far as the earth stretches and wherever man dwells. And by that, this third petition, even as the second receives an, an eschatological character, meaning per- pertaining to the very end of time. Jesus' prayer, in a sense, has the ultimate vision of the new heavens and new earth in view. When everyone will do God's will and obey him, the godless will have disappeared from the earth. There will be no more sin, no more sinners, but all that will inhabit that new earth will be new creatures. In the third petition, we ultimately ask that God would make all people and all things new. We're praying, Father, make earth like heaven. As it will be when the two of them meet as heaven comes down and all things are made new. Jesus is expanding on his second petition prayer, teaching us to pray for the full coming of God's kingdom. And this too is not far from Paul's view in verse 12. And when in this prayer for God's strength, he goes on to say, verse 12, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice as he he prays for them more and more to know God's will and more and more to be strengthened with God's power, he then looks ahead to that day when when this prayer will be fully answered in kingdom come. That reference to the inheritance of the the saints in light is the same thing that Paul spoke of in verse 5. He spoke of the hope laid up for them in heaven. 
the fullness of that kingdom that he speaks of in verse 13, or that redemption that he speaks of in verse 14. Paul, with with Jesus, teaches us not only to be strengthened to know his will and to renounce our own, but to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. As you pray for God to make you grow into the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, pray earnestly for the coming of Christ when that prayer will be fully answered. This petition teaches us, as Paul will say in Colossians 3, to lift our eyes to heavenly things and and, and place them not on things of this earth. But more and more and more to eagerly anticipate the coming of Christ when we and all the redeemed will perfectly do God's will in heaven. Set your mind and set your heart on that blessed hope. And as you do, God will use even that longing to more and more fulfill this prayer now in you, helping you to obey his will and to renounce your own as you set your hope on heaven, fixing your mind on the inheritance of the saints in light is one of the ways that God helps you to grow in the knowledge of his will and strengthens you to renounce your own. You could say the more heavenly-minded you become, the more earthly good you do. I think Paul teaches that very thing in Colossians 3. I think he's hinting at it here. That the way to bear fruit in this life is to fix your eyes on the life to come. The, the way to bear fruit in this age is to fix your eyes on the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what God wants us to do. In fact, that's, that's part of why he gives us this meal to which we come in just a few moments. As it is a foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb used by God to to lift our eyes towards heaven in holy anticipation for the full redemption and deliverance and inheritance that our passage speaks of. The Lord's Supper is one of the means by which God lifts our eyes towards heaven in eager longing for that day when this prayer will be fully answered. And not only that, but it's also one of the means by which he strengthens us as we make our way toward that day. That we might have the power we need to renounce our own will and put our sin to death. It is a means of sanctifying grace used by God to answer this very prayer, teaching us more and more the knowledge of his wisdom in Christ that we might be strengthened by this spiritual wisdom to put our sin to death. The way in which God answers our prayer to make his will be done within us is by teaching us the knowledge of his wisdom and the gospel of grace that this meal here pictures. The forgiveness of sins, of verse 14, because of his broken body, crucified, dead, and buried for us. This meal that, that so pictures that by which he strengthens our faith and gives us power to put our sin to death as we long for the day when our sin will be no more. And we will sit at that banquet table with Christ in glory, saying, your will is now done on earth as it is in heaven, for the two are now one. And so as we come to this meal, we do so longing for that day. We do so recognizing our our need to be strengthened by the grace of God until that day. 
We do so with Paul in verses 12 to 14, thanking God for all that he has given us in Christ, for how he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the full forgiveness of all our sins. Let's come to him now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son, the same beloved Son of whom we'll hear this afternoon in the baptism of Jesus, at which you said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Father, that you have made us heirs of that kingdom, members and, and citizens of that heavenly kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would make us more and more to act in a way that befits Christ's holy reign. That the character of the king would be so worked in us as we become people of the word who seek to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of our Lord Jesus, strengthened by your spirit. That as his strength is worked in us, you would empower us to renounce our own will and would eradicate root and branch all unwillingness and self-will, all selfishness and sin. That you would help us to carry out our own office and calling as church members, as office bearers, as parents and children, husbands and wives, employers and employees, citizens. You'd help us to carry out those offices as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Until that day when sin will be no more, earth will be like heaven. Hasten that day of our inheritance, we pray, and make us more and more to long for it, even as we taste of this meal. We pray in Jesus' name.